The church basement is burning. That's what we're talking about today. This is our second part of this conversation, which is so important in terms of what we are seeing in general across the landscape of the church when it comes to youth ministry. This is an absolutely important conversation for you to hear, for you to participate in and be a part of and add to this conversation that is happening under the surface. And we believe conversations like this need to go from underneath the surface to above the surface and happen on many different levels and many different layers with many different kinds of people. We want to welcome you to this episode. We're going to continue our conversation that we had on our last episode of The Thought Factor as we talk about this concept of the church basement being on fire. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. All right, we are back with this second part of this conversation. Again, we've got our guest, Charlie Alcock, with us. Charlie, we're so glad you're here. Charlie is a 35-year-plus youth ministry veteran, 15 years in the local church exclusively, the last 20 years primarily in the university setting, teaching youth ministry to students at Indiana Wesleyan University, and during the last 20 years also has been involved in three different local churches and currently now is involved in a local church as well as full-time professor of youth ministry in Indiana Wesleyan. Charlie, we're glad you're here with us. We're going to continue this conversation today. It's good to be with you guys. Yeah, welcome again. So in the last episode, we talked about some causes of why youth ministry is in the state that it's in. And we're using this very striking and provocative analogy of the church basement burning because we believe that is an accurate picture right now of where youth ministry is in the context, primarily what we're talking about in in an American context. And so we want to talk about today some hope, some positivity, some optimism. If you haven't listened to our last episode, I want to encourage you to go back right now, listen to that. That's going to give a little bit of context. But in the last episode, we talked about the causes, why we believe this has happened, and we give several specific reasons and some specific data to talk about those reasons. But today we want to talk about solutions. And gentlemen, as we've talked about this before, this is an issue we've talked about personally, uh, many conversations over many hours, and today we want to have this public conversation talking about solutions. So let's just get right into it and talk about at least five, perhaps even more, solutions that we have for the church. And we want to preface this with a couple things here. We're not talking about, let's get back to the good old days of the past. We're all people that believe we need to be moving forward, and this this conversation is about moving forward. This conversation, another preface here, is we're not talking in a way that's derogatory, towards anyone, especially the church, especially the local church, the Big C Church. We just want to offer some solutions here and talk about what we can do to make some progress. So number one, let's talk about this. Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, obviously where your investment is is where you're going to be focused on and you're going to really 
see growth, I think, when you start to invest in an area of the church. And if youth ministry is important from the stage, from a vocal standpoint, but it's not supported by the financial standpoint, then your your money's not where your mouth is. And there's some churches that will say, yeah, all praise to the youth. And it's great that we have so-and-so leading the the youth ministry. But then when it starts to look deeper into the budgets, it's like, yeah, but we're only giving so much to this department of the church. And it shies in comparison to other departments of the church. You know, you talk about uh, this episode coming back with the solutions. And uh, I just hearing you talk, Jeff and, and Jason, what comes up to my mind is God's word does not return void. Uh, we talked in the other episode about some of the challenges, of course, especially when we talk about finances and, and that type of thing. And I remember specifically hearing someone talk about that, that ministry is not transactional and we can't think about it as a business. It is an investment in human life with no expectation of a return because it is God who draws all people to himself. Our job is to plant water, encourage, and trust that God's word doesn't return void because there will be times. In fact, most of my life in ministry, you didn't see a whole lot of return while they were students. I know this one young man that was the toughest person to deal with and gave me so much grief. And it wasn't until eight years later that I walked into Starbucks and I saw him and all of a sudden we're meeting and hugging and he calls me Pastor Charlie. He used other words for me when he was in high school. <laughs> yeah. But then all of a sudden God's word doesn't return void. So as we dig into this and, and we you know, are talking about it, that still is at in my heart like um, something that resounds that his word does not return void. Don't grow weary of caring about this generation. And I'm sure we can all think of those types of students in our ministry or those that we've invested mm -hmm. in. And, and you may be listening and you think of somebody that comes to mind immediately where it's like they've given you so much grief and so much issue. And yet years later when they've matured and they've come back to the faith or whatever, they have this realization that you were important and, and vital in their life and they come back and maybe apologize or start investing in the youth ministry again and and pay back what they've lost kind of thing. And so it is it is important as we talk about investing in this area. We in the last episode, we we mentioned how you know, budgets get cut and decisions have to be made and church church leadership in general, we we aren't trying to criticize what happened in maybe 2008 when the Re great recession happened and and churches had to make tough decisions, but when there's not rehires and and backflowing in the budget back to the youth ministry, you're saying it's important, but not on the the budget list. And this prioritization, uh, we can we can talk the talk, but we got to walk the walk. And I know if you're to peel back your ministry budget, if you're listening to this, and particularly if you're a senior lead pastor, or if you're a staff pastor or youth pastor, and you have any privilege to knowing what your budget is, what the percentages are. Let me just ask you point blank, what percentage are you spending on the next generation as compared to some other areas? Particularly like 
the Sunday morning experience. I know for most churches I know, the Sunday morning experience dominates the budget. What you're paying those people to be on stage. And again, not minimizing that. That's important. That is a central gathering place for your church. It's, you know, there's a, a universal appeal and impact to that. But let me say this. What are you spending and investing in on the next generation? And we talked about in the last episode, briefly mentioned, there's a great resource. If you want to talk about ROI in a business sense, return on investment, growing young by the Fuller Youth Institute, incredible, incredible resource when it talks about what you get financially, even in terms of a direct result when you invest in students you inevitably get that family unit and you do get that giving, you do get that financial return, which I know is, you may say, well, why are we talking about business things and money? It's just the stark reality to keep the doors open. You got to keep the lights on. You got to have the money flowing. It's just the way it is. So let me get specific here. Hiring more staff in Next Generation or hiring staff. If you're listening and you're a church that maybe doesn't invest in any way financially. Now, again, we're not proposing this as like a, you know, one-sided, simplistic solution. Like you do this and and everything will work out. But it is definitely a high factor in just in terms of hiring staff or hiring more. And I think, too, when it comes to that, it's understanding what you're hiring them to and for and a challenge of the field. The field has changed, and it's much more work. It takes more time, and you won't see is the, the greatest results that, that you might dream of or think of instantly. It's, it is a massive calling, a ton of work to connect with this generation. Don't expect a golden bullet when you hire either. It's the This is the hire that's going to solve all the solutions and make that ministry really grow. It's like, it's not trying to find that golden bullet. That's going to do it all. It is about, there might not be a return on that investment for years. It's, it's somebody who's willing to do the work and be consistent in the lives of adolescents and God will bless. Oh, I, I love that you say that Jason, cause it is, it's investment in the next generation, not tomorrow, not tomorrow's results. So it cannot be transactional. There has to be this missional understanding of what they're doing. And that that word that we just talked about, God's word, it might take years for them to really understand what's happening because I bet all of us when we were 14 years old really didn't have a handle on the supernatural presence of Jesus Christ and how he lives in our lives and through us. And we could see what that meant in terms of you know, the cosmos. I mean, it takes time to kind of get into this understanding of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And that's why, yeah, next generation ministry is a long-term proposal. It's not just mm-hmm. the here and now. It's about what's happening in the future. And let, let me just let me just say this to some of you that might be in a decision-making role, like I am as a lead pastor right now, is are you paying your staff in this area living wage? I tell you what really grinds me is to see what a lot of people in the youth ministry profession are being paid and they do it out of love 
all three of us here in this room have have the same or similar story. I can tell you my first job out of college was uh, in worship and youth ministry at a church. I took a role in another church and went there just to be focused exclusively on students and took over a 50% pay cut and found out when we were trying to, to buy a house that we were eligible for welfare. I told my senior pastor that. And he made sure to remind me that I should not be taking welfare. And this senior pastor, I loved him. He was a a great influence on my life. But what I learned through that experience was that I wasn't doing youth ministry for the money. And I tell you, how many friends right here, guys, do we know personally that have just out of practicality have to get out of youth ministry even though they love it because they could not support their family and I will say, man, it, it, it is something when I know what youth ministry professionals are being paid, it breaks my heart for a lot of people because they want to do it because they love it. And sometimes they're simply forced out because of the economics of it. And it pushes them to what's next. It pushes them out to another position in the church. I remember clearly having a conversation uh with a church I was at speaking at and and one of the board members who was taking us out to dinner said well you know if, if you're in youth ministry here this you cap at the salary but if, if you take the next step if you become a discipleship pastor then you can move up in salary and then if you become the executive pastor then you can move up in salary and then I went to Skyline and that's not how they operated I I never had heard anything before, but when I went there, it's like, no, we're going to pay you um, based on your value to the organization and and what you mean to the, the to us as a church, and that blew my mind. So we encourage you don't don't go to that structure where well, you know, this is what the youth pastor makes, this is what youth ministry gets, and then that's it. That's the way our budget is, because then you force people who are growing and developing as leaders out of that and they have to take another job to do what you just said jeff and that is pay for that next child that's on the way and those of you that are out there and you might be in that place where you're interviewing at a church and you're looking at a a vocational position you need to be asking those questions where is youth ministry in the overall pay structure because if it is lower that that sends you a signal right there where youth ministry is in the priority and i will tell you you know, in any youth, in any local church setting that doesn't elevate next gen is a short sighted church. I'm just going to say it point we'll say blank. It. Yeah. They just don't understand nope. that investment and the importance of it and what it will do, not just kingdom wise. I'm even talking about just on a pure, selfish, solely focused on your own local church. If a church doesn't understand how important next gen is. That church will not thrive and survive in the future. And you do not want to be at a church like that that doesn't understand that value. Boom. Period. All right. Uh, The next solution, it it tag teams and overlaps a bit here, is taking youth ministry seriously. Mm. A solution is to start to take it seriously. And I I will tell you that in my experience, I went to a church... um, after what I'd mentioned previously, the, the third and last church that I worked at in my vocational youth ministry days, and this church took youth ministry seriously. 
the senior, and it started with the top with the senior pastor, our senior pastor, I'll name him. He's a great mentor and friend, Wayne Schmidt. And Wayne had conversations with me leader to leader about youth ministry that even elevated my own feeling of importance and responsibility for leading in the area of next-gen ministry at Kentwood Community Church where I was on staff for 11 years as high school and teaching pastor. And taking youth ministry seriously is something that is a solution to this issue of of how we can elevate it back to a, a more prominent place in the church. Even by looking at the analogy that we're using, the basement is burning. We go back to a long time ago, or even now, where some churches have the youth ministry in the basement. It's like, well, we're just trying to find a, a corner of the building for them to just gather. And it's not that important, but you have this space. Don't go anywhere else in the church. You know, you're going to destroy it, all that stuff. And it's not saying you have to build a youth building. You don't have to necessarily uh, have the the high-end aspect of of the church. But going, is it serious enough or is it just a babysitting service? Is it something that you go, it, there's value in this? Or is it, well, why don't you just open the doors, take care of the kids for a little bit, and then, you know, make sure you don't leave the basement, and then, you know, we're good. It reminds me of someone in our staff, Jason, that we work with at Never the Same, who was youth pastor church, and you remember the name of their youth group, the initials were UCYG. Do you remember what that stands for? Yeah. Go ahead. Ugly Couch Youth Group. Group. That's it, UCYG. And that, that their youth group had all the leftover ugly couches that they got from who knows where. They had who knows what living in the fabric of those couches and... And they were the ugly couch youth group. They kind of made a joke about it. But that that really says a lot about what a lot of churches are doing now. Some of you listening, you might be in great facilities with unbelievable youth ministry facilities and buildings and all that. That is obviously the exception. But, yeah, the analogy of the, the, the basement, and that's where the, the students are, definitely goes towards where a church is prioritizing and how seriously they're taking youth ministry. Well, it, it is the exception. And the vast majority, over 92% of all youth ministry in the United States of America is led by a volunteer with leftover whatever in the basement that is smoldering because it's been on fire for a while. And it's brutal on them. And they're guilted sometimes into doing it because nobody else will. Again, we're talking about people students, teenagers who are in the most crazy, critical, brutal time of their life. And the entire world is focused in on them. It seems like the church is, is forgetting them. Charlie, you talked about that in the last episode. And I want you to, to reiterate what you said in case, either whether they heard it or not, how the world is focused on them. Talk about well, that. Well, as we dig into this, we, we know that that every industry that that we are warring against the sex slave trade, porn, music, social media are all specifically targeting the 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 the, the uh, um, clothes industry, fashion. I'm sorry, fashion is actually dialing in on that generation. They're the ones that if they can win them, they win, and not for the moment, for a lifetime. And and, and that's something that uh, uh, is a huge burden on all of us. 
how do we help them through that? So if that is where they're putting all their money and their focus and their intention, why are we not? Do, do we think it's an accent that 90% of adolescents have iPhones as mm. opposed to Android? There, there's all. a reason. There's a tar- Apple is smart. They know what they're doing. I was going to say, even how many youth leaders, youth pastors have been asked the question, when are you going to get a real job or when are you going to grow up? Ugh. And that that is the mentality sometimes of upper leadership of saying your position is not not going to be taken seriously. But when you do get a real job or when you do elevate to a, a, a higher level of leadership, that's when I'll take you seriously. But right now you're just it's a stepping stone to a lot of in the minds of a lot of leaders in the church. There's that that word that we don't like, that narrative. I mean, there's that word is floating everywhere. What's the narrative? There is a very ugly narrative with youth ministry that's been alive for many, many years, and it needs to go away. When when people are asking us, I was on a, a flight not too long ago, and somebody said, what do you do? And in my mind, it's like, well, I'm a, pro- no, I'm not a, a prophet. I'm committed to youth ministry. I'm in youth ministry. Mm-hmm. So I'm purposely yeah. say I'm in youth ministry. Mm-hmm. I yeah. want to support and, and, and celebrate it, not like hide from it or like, well, that's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. And and that that idea, Charlie, of how the world and the strategy of, of so many industries is targeting that those age groups, even terrorist organizations, the 12-year-old young man is their number one strategic recruitment. And so we have to absolutely understand the strategy uh, within our own church. Now, let's talk about another solution, number three. We've talked about putting your money where your mouth is. We've talked about taking youth ministry seriously. Number three, church plant within your own church. Let me introduce this concept to you. Church planting is happening. It's one of the, the... I would call it just a wave that's happening right now, and it has been that way for a while. And we're investing a lot of money and time and resources into planning outside our our local churches, while at the same time, these churches that are investing in this, the basement is, is burning. Let me say this. What if you were to take the same strategic idea? What if you take the same resources and church plant within your own church? What if you were to to raise money or do whatever you do to fund what we might call traditional church planting and church plant within your own church to reach into the community and reach into lost people. And let me make a plug here. If you if you want to talk about numbers and statistics, overwhelmingly the number one way an age group and target to reach lost people is under age 18, and it's actually moving Younger and younger, it's under age 13. If you want to look at where the majority of people will make their decision to follow Christ throughout their lifetime, it's under age 18. And I'm asking those of you listening to consider, what if we started a new movement where we're church planting within our own churches? Well, what do you do when you start to think about church planting? You start to gather people, you get a team, you start to have a committee, and you start to start planning and strategizing and doing all of those things but yet you leave the youth pastor on an island by themselves to figure out things on their own. Instead, why don't you make a committee, strategize with them as a church, going, how can we 
invest in this area? How can we really target certain people of this community to make it back into the church? And, and so we, we spend all this time and money and planning and, and gathering experts in the field and businessmen and women, and, and we bring them into a room and we start talking about it and we get all energized, but then we don't do that for the youth ministry. You know, practically speaking too, is if this is what you begin to do, you begin where you already are and you probably have people that will help you plant that youth ministry who are students already associated to your congregation. In fact, the one thing that I would do every time that on a regular basis is, is I would, I would walk through the church sanctuary and find out even on a Sunday morning, who's coming with somebody, grandma, grandpa, parents, they just happen to be coming through and they have no idea what we're doing. And I would notice that, that, that student and go specifically recruit from our church to the student ministry. So you don't have to start cold turkey out there, you know, some random place. You can start actually where you already are. Win at home first. All, win all your home games. That's right. Get that group of people together and then approach it like you both are talking about with that group of students and volunteers. That once you've developed that strategies, you've kind of identified your tactics. Now you have a place and a purpose and you have the energy and this is something you can do. And now you celebrate that. And then you, know, you have a chance. Well, you, you even start to approach people with funds. You start to mm-hmm. potential donors. You start to maybe bring them around and ask them a little bit more out of their pocketbook for this venture. But yet, if if the youth ministry were to approach those same people, it's a competition in the church. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's It's like, no, no, therefore the big church, you know, hands off kind of thing. And it's like, why, why can't we bring those type of people in that have the resources to then invest more into the youth ministry? Oh, I I tell you guys, churches, they're not winning on their home field, but they're going to say, we want to reproduce what we're doing somewhere else when what they're doing at home isn't working. They've got a product that is not succeeding and yet they're trying elsewhere. And I've seen that over and over. And we have got to understand that this is going to take a completely new paradigm. And as Jason and I were prepping for this this episode, I thought to myself, I don't think it's out of line for churches to use their outreach or missions budgets to be church planning within churches. If you go, well, we don't have the money to do it. What if they take that missions budget and you hire someone to do an after-school program or to send them out to be a missionary coach on a local school or something to reach the next generation of your church. I'm very aware of who I'm talking to right now and the organization that you represent. All right, so I, I'm very aware of that. But you've taught me this, Jeff, Jason, the greatest mission field that exists on the planet Earth are middle schools and high schools in the United States of America. Yes, Mission fields that are huge, hard to get into, very difficult to be sustainable in, and demand our time and attention. That's right. We've said this for years. The most strategic mission field in America is the middle and high school campus. And that's just, you look at the overall majority, I mean, the numbers have shifted a bit, but it's still way over 90% of middle and high school students. You're going to find them on a Tuesday afternoon. They're going to be on a campus. That's where they are. And it's where they're 
most open to receive Christ, why in the world are we not seeing this as a mission field? And if the basement is burning, we've got to be reaching these mission fields that are ripe, as Jesus said in Matthew, ripe for the harvest. We've got to be going after them. Fourth solution we're going to offer here today is reevaluate your priorities. We're talking specifically here, most specifically to local church leadership. Where are your priorities? If you were to sit down and I and there's no there's no more clear way to do it than look at where your time and money is being spent. So looking at someone's calendar, looking at their checkbook, look at your bank account, look at where your time is spent. What are your meetings spent on? What is your budget spent on? Church leaders Take a hard look, and you will reveal where your priorities are by looking at those two things. Time, schedule, budget, those two areas. And evaluate those and then reevaluate them. If you do not have a thriving next-generation ministry in your church, let me just say it as, as bluntly as I can, it's a matter of time that your church will survive. That's just the way it is. I can tell you story after story. My own church that I grew up in as, a, as an example that's painful to, to even talk about, but they lost next generation, the church closed. That's the way it is. If, if you're not doing it now, it's a matter of time. And really, this is just a challenge to those who are listening that are in the positions of leadership that makes those decisions. And you may be feeling like, oh, you don't know my context. You don't know what we're trying to invest in. You don't know the challenges of the the income for the church and where that can go and all these demands and stuff and it's, the challenge is just reevaluating the priorities and if this is something that you may sense right now that it is a priority and you really are convicted then you just start working the budget to start investing more even if it's five percent ten percent 20 whatever percentage that may be increase that's an investment in the area that you go yeah this is important and i want to see it live longly if that's a word that's not a word but to last for a much longer than what it could be i think too jeff that practically speaking we have to allow people to have a voice and a place at the table and it might be an annoying voice i bet right now this podcast is pretty annoying to some people that are like, well, you guys know you're, you've, you know, what are you talking about? You really, do you really know? We're going to have to allow voices to challenge us. And those voices might keep us centered on things that we naturally tend to, to, to kind of wane from. We, we naturally do what we feel connected to and what re- really like is in our, you know, like strong zone another word to say is like our bailiwick it's something that we really love and value and so if that's not us which it's not a lot of people we have to have people in our room on at the table that are constantly reminding us of what you were saying and allow it allow people to be the voice and you may be a new listener to this podcast you may not be aware but jeff you're sitting here not just as somebody who's behind the mic in youth ministry as an organizational leader of never the same, but you're also a senior pastor who is mm-hmm. making these decisions and having to look at the budget. And and you are speaking into this area not just as a high ideal, 
for somebody else. It's also probably looking at your own self and own leadership and own organization as a church and going, where are the priorities? And you've mentioned it. You, the priorities are going to be shifting in this church that you're a part of. Absolutely. And I, I will say that, you know, stepping into a lead pastor role in the last 18 months and, you know, creating my first budget. And man, I'm telling you, I, I've told the church in every level I can from the physical platform through written communication with our board of elders to our staff. Next generation will be a priority as I lead this church because I, I understand the importance of it on, on hopefully every level that I can. But I, yeah, and I would say this in, in speaking to other uh, people in the higher levels of leadership in local churches, look at your priorities and, and make them what you want them to be. Don't say, well, this is a priority, but we don't put any money in it. Because you really can't say that. You can't say this is important, but we don't really invest in it. It is absolutely important that you look at the priorities that you have in your church. And I can definitely speak to this in terms of, of every facet. I would say that in my experience being on staff at a church, I spent the overwhelming majority of my career in professional youth ministry without getting a raise and living uh, well below, in, in, in many terms, the poverty level. And I did it because I loved it. Our family made sacrifices, and God's been faithful to us. And I don't say that as a like, hey, I'm a hero or whatever. I'm just saying I understand why people get out of youth ministry because they can't afford to do it. I want to challenge those of you that are saying that to be creative. Some of you out there are saying, well, I can't do this anymore. You know what? Find a side hustle. Find a gig. There's so many ways to make money. And, and I had to do that. Jason, you and I have talked about that. We've, we've done that over the years because we believed in it. We were sold out to it. Students matter. But Knowing what that is, again, going back to what we said earlier, senior leaders pay your youth ministry people more. Give them more resources to work with. It's not the only solution, but it's definitely a way that you can reevaluate your priorities. All right, our last solution here we want to talk about in this episode is tell students that they matter. I think students need to hear that. They want to hear that. It's important for them to hear that in several different ways. But let's talk about how we can tell students that they matter. Jeff, in uh, conversations with quite a few different people that research that are in the field, it is clear that there is a great desire for spirituality within this generation of humans people in middle schools and high schools but at the same time there's a duplicity in belief and practice meaning that that even though they desire that 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 supernatural they're not all looking towards Jesus Christ to who he is and they're they're gonna find something that that will fill that void and so we have to get in the middle of that and help them understand that their identity, what they are seeking, who can really satisfy what that longing is in their heart to belong, is found in the person and the presence of Jesus Christ. There's so many different ways that we can tell students that they matter. Obviously, 
a pastor or a leader can stand on a physical platform and say to the students there, you matter to us. You can, you can do that through lots of different ways. You can do that through budgetary reasons. You can do that, Jason, we talked about putting students in a position where they can be integrated into the church experience. I've often thought, what would a church board look like if from time to time a student were to sit in and be able to share their voice? How many church boards or groups of elders are doing that? I think I think there are so many different ways beyond just verbally how we can express to students that they matter in a way that means something to them, not just because it makes us feel better and not just because we can check it off a box, but something that communicates to them in a way they can hear it, that it, that it matters to them, that they understand what we're saying. You know, one of the, the great uh, memories I have talking to a former student, um, Amy, when she, she's a, a pastor at a church and we were having this conversation and, and she goes, you know, I don't ever remember, you know, a specific sermon I don't remember really like exactly what, you know, that message was on that, that Thursday night and, you know, 30 years ago, what I remember is the experience. What I remember is, is, is what we did, the experiences that we shared in that youth ministry. Those are what stick with people and simply said, what was Jesus method of showing people he cared time presence patience he walked with them and so we can program and design and be really crafty at that but we have to have time with them and that is expensive time has more value than money but it's what matters yeah they may not remember the the messages they may not remember the experience but they will remember how they felt when they entered into the room and are we showing the grace that jesus has for us to them that regardless of where they come from the background the things that you may know about them because of whatever they've done in the community and you're like oh what what is so-and-so doing here do we have the grace to to invite them in the grace to almost overlook some of those things that they may be identified with outside of the church, but are we showing the grace of Jesus to them inside the church? My first few weeks as lead pastor at Daybreak, I was there and it was a Sunday morning in the summer of 2021 and a bicycle pulls up to our church and a young man gets off that bike. He was 13 years old. He comes into our church, never been there, didn't know anyone, walked in, and our church changed. This is a large church. Something happened in our church when that young man walked through those doors by himself and people began to talk about it. I, I heard about it before the service started. Hey, did you hear? I heard a, a couple people, hey, did you hear this 13-year-old young man just walked into our church and he's by himself. His parents didn't come here. He rode his bike around his own because he's like seeking out faith and he wants to know about God. And So my wife, Arianna, 
we heard about this and she invited him. He came up and sat with us in the front row. He knew no different, you know, like we kind of sit up there by ourselves with the producer and here we are at this church with cameras and live streaming and this young man walked in and and uh, it was so amazing, you guys, because kind of on the spur of the moment, and this is different in a live streamer, but I invited this young man up on stage with me and he stood there and I said, hey, I want our church to know that we are so glad that you're here and they gave him a standing ovation and that was a moment in our church that changed our church it showed them that students matter and this young man on his own uh, is still a part of our church he's still a part of our youth ministry his parents uh, are atheists but he's still seeking after God he's still here he's bringing his friends He's reading his Bible. He's engaged spiritually with what's happening. And I'm so excited about that. And that brings such life and energy. What would happen, in, for those of you listening, what would happen in your church if, if something like that, if you had a moment that your church could experience in some way, especially at your central gathering, like a Sunday morning, where your church could hear in some way and visualize that students matter. I'm telling you, your church will light up. Every generation in your church will be impacted by a moment like that. And that's what we're talking about. And what we want to leave you with today, my friends, is the fact that even though the basement is burning, that even though there's so many more challenges maybe than we could ever imagine, there's so much more complexity, there seems to be so much more opposition that this generation is alive they're seeking they want to be found by us they're looking for christ we need to make them a priority otherwise our churches will not exist in 10 15 20 years we cannot look beyond the moment that we're in and we cannot fail to just see beyond ourselves we have to be looking at this generation as a generation that matters to God in ways that we cannot imagine. So we want to leave you with this idea that even though the basement is burning, we can make a difference right now. We hope that you do. And we hope this conversation has helped you to reach this next generation. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.